Hello, family, and welcome to Kingwood Methodist. In John 4.23, Jesus states that a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. As we gather at church and open God's Word, we are not just coming together for the sake of gathering, but also to learn the truth of God and how we can grow to love God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. As we continually surrender our lives to the Word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we become the type of worshipers our Heavenly Father seeks. Let's dive in together. Congregation can be seated. Carrie's least texted me to remind me that that 12-15 meeting also has a free lunch to go with it too. So she said, do everything you can to entice people and invite them to come over. It's always important to set a context for the text. And so before we move into the text for the sermon today on this questions on the journey of the cross, I want to capture an image with you for a moment. Um, all of us have probably had that moment that there's been a startling event or situation and we need someone to come alongside and say, hey, 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 listen to me. As a child, it's that parent who, as the child learns, maybe they're overtired or overwhelmed. They, they get down on their level and they say, hey, 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 listen to me, listen to me. When we're distracted, sometimes we need that loving voice around us in the form of a spouse or friend who says, Hey, <laughs> hey, listen to me. In times of grief, we need that loved one who comes alongside and when we can't even figure out how the world is going to be put back together to, to grasp our face in their hands and say, Listen to me, to look us into our eyes and say, We're going to make it through this. Listen to me. And so today, church, I want to invite you to, to listen and ask if you're listening to the whole part of the text. Before we ever get to John chapter 13, verse 31 through 14, verse 6, I want to remind us of the whole picture of who the person Thomas is as a disciple. We, we've given this guy a bad rap. I mean, we call him Doubting Right? It's sort of the sticks. And all of our minds go to what happened in John chapter 20 when, when, when Jesus is along the, the appearance of the, the disciples after the resurrection and, and Thomas wasn't there. And so he, he says, I'm not going to believe unless what? Unless I, I touch his hands. I've got to see him. And, and thus we think it's doubting Thomas. Or as we're going to read in a moment in John chapter 14, verse 6, it's Thomas who says, well, Lord, how can we know the way? And we hang on Thomas, the concept of doubts, but my friends, I suggest to you, Thomas was listening. And if you listen to the whole of the text, you'll read in John chapter 11, when the news comes to Jesus and the disciples that Lazarus has passed, Lazarus' sister says, Lord, your, your brother, he's passed. Would you come and come back to Bethany? And all of the other disciples, except Thomas, all the other disciples say, hey, Jesus, it didn't go so good for us back there. Let's don't go back, okay? 
Look at it, John chapter 11, verse 8. All the disciples say, Lord, they were wanting to stone you back there. Let's don't go back, okay? Can't we avoid it? Can't you do sort of a text healing or just, you know, Snapchat healing or Facebook healing? And it's Thomas who says this, let us go with him that we might die with him. Wow. Doesn't sound like a doubter to me. And as we approach this text in a moment, it is what N.T. Wright calls the beginning of the story of the passion. In John chapter 13, we're going to pick up a verse that says, When he had left, the he that is referred to in a moment is Judas. Remembering that in the Gospel of John, in chapter 13, Jesus' final act with the disciples was not the Last Supper, but the washing of the feet, which is why oftentimes we have a foot-washing service on a Monday, Thursday. It echoes what Jesus was doing to the disciples. It's also in the Gospel of John, ironically, that though there is no Last Supper, there is the Gospel of John is the only one that names who the betrayer is. If it were not for John, we would not know that it was Judas the betrayer. And so Judas is still at the table, if you would, even though there's not specific mention of the Seder meal and the cup of which the choir spoke and sang. He's still at the meal. Jesus doesn't kick him out. All he says is, look what you've got to do. Do quickly. And now we pick up the text. And imagine how startled each of these disciples must have felt because they've been journeying with this Jesus, expecting an entirely different message than what they're about to hear. Out of respect to God's word, I invite you to stand as you are able. Verse 31 of chapter 13, when he, being Judas, when he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the Son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give to you, love one another as I've loved you. So you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me, Peter? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. 
You know the way to the place where I'm going. And now we're going to read verses 5 and 6 together, all the congregation. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, and as you are, let us pray together. Eternal God, show us your word and your covenant in your word and your grace in your covenant and your goodness in your grace and your love in your goodness and yourself in your love, all in the face of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray together. And all of God's people did say, Amen. Thomas the Doubter. Peter, the impetuous ones, the stage is set as we are launched into this season of asking questions, and the volley of questions goes back and forth as the disciples say, where are you going, Jesus? Why can't I go with? It's as if the Peter who walked on the waters is the same Peter who says, I want to go. I want to participate no matter what. I mean, imagine what's happening in the startling moment of all that's happening the disciples are gathered together. Judas the betrayer is broken up. It's broken up the disciples. He's left. I mean, can you imagine what kind of shock that must be? They're gathered together. I mean, this is a startling news that things are really different right now. Really different. And then you'd love to say everybody else is all on board, but, but golly, you, you, you've got Peter who's, who's asking these questions. And it's a prediction that Peter is going to deny Jesus. The betrayer is on the stage. Those who are going to deny are on the stage. And where are all the disciples in the coming days as they approach Jerusalem in the text? They quietly drift into the shadows. You see, everything literally would appear to be falling apart at this moment. And it's in this context that Jesus is knitting together the, the story of his passion, not only his life, but a suffering, crucifixion, and resurrection in the midst of all that is unknown. I love the way Casting Crown says it. Your life is not falling to pieces. It's falling into place. Oh, but friends, it's hard to see that when the pieces are all that we can see. What is Jesus about in this text? couple things, just to dig into the biblical part of the text. First, when Jesus makes reference to, um, I, will be, I will be with you just a little longer, just as I told the Jews, that's a reference back to John chapter 7, when there is great tension, tension as Jesus is teaching in the temple, and he says, look, I'm not going to be here uh, for a whole lot longer, and where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, where exactly is it that Jesus is telling at the temple, the listeners, uh, disciples, where is he going that we cannot go? It is the passion. Jesus is particularly preparing the disciples for the passion that is to come, for his crucifixion, for his trial, eventually his resurrection. But that's not the whole story. The whole story is where I'm going now you cannot go, but did you hear the other part of the text? But later you will follow. 
You see, Thomas is not the doubter, he's the listener. He's sitting on the edge of his chair. A couple weeks ago, as we celebrated Gary Showalter's life, one of the things that was so complimentary of Gary was that he was always on the edge of his chair. And by the way, I need somebody to be the Gary Showalter laugh. I miss that, right? Even when the jokes weren't funny, he would laugh. Thomas is on the edge of his chair. He's listening to every word of Jesus. He's engaging Jesus. Are you listening, church? Are you listening to what Jesus is saying as he weaves the story of his love that will not be deterred by the conflict that is yet to come, but his love for you, his love for me? Where I'm going now, you cannot go, but, but in a little while, you, you will come later. And then in the 14th chapter, what does Jesus do? He makes this monumental shift. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. If you read the RSV, it says, Do not let them be troubled, neither let them be afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in me. It's all wrapped together that the fullness of the love of God is present in Christ. And even though we don't understand all the things that are happening, even though we have more questions than we have answers, in the words of Michael Card, who was a at the very beginning of contemporary music was a contemporary artist with a guitar and these beautiful, um, almost sonnets of who Christ was. He had a song that said this, Could it be that questions will tell us more than answers ever will? As we engage these questions, as some of these questions seem to be lingering, seem to be unanswered, or answers seem to be inadequate, we do not let our hearts be troubled. We, we do not let them be afraid. Why? Not because of our capability or our ability, but because of God's love. Jesus has washed the disciples' feet. It sets in contrast the difference of how the world defines love and how Jesus defines love. And he said, look, no servant is greater than his master. And he's, he's given us the paradigm for his kingdom as well. This love of which he speaks is a love that transcends our own self-centered concerns. I love the story that Clayton Cobb tells about uh, the disaster response occurring in Florida after one of the hurricanes hit. This is several years ago. He mentions what it was like to work with the Red Cross. The Red Cross is a fantastic and wonderful organization. But as I look across this congregation, when you all went through disaster uh, with the Red Cross, I was doing the same thing on the other side of town at Bear Creek. And the Red Cross is a wonderful thing, but sometimes it has some limits to what it can do, right? They establish their boundaries. This can happen here or there. One of them was that food could not be brought in from the outside. And so at Bear Creek, where I was, we had the large gymnasium space, and then we had a separate older fellowship hall. And so when they told us we couldn't bring in food and the Copperfield Church was doing laundry and another church wanted to help, they said, let's bring in some home-cooked meals. That let's really love on these folks that are here. Oh, I can't do it. And so what I said is, well, I can't do it where? Well, we can't do it over here because this, this area is the Red Cross shelter area. I said, well, you're, you're, you're not the Red Cross shelter over there in the old fellowship hall, are you? No. I said, hey, y'all bring the casseroles to the fellowship hall. <laughs> And we went through the shelter, we told everybody, we even told the Red Cross folks, and they said, oh, we'll come get casserole too. They had rules they had to work by, because that's how it happened. 
Clayton Cobb tells a story of a woman who shows up at one of these shelters, and she's got the little flashlight, and they were having to hand things out, and her children were terrified of the dark, and she was a single mom, and she needed enough batteries to get her through the night, and just two batteries would not work. But they said, sorry, only, only two batteries per family. And she was pleading her case. I've got these three children. I, it's not going to last all night. She said, we can only give out two batteries. If you had other family members that were adults, we could give them. And behind her, the person stepped forward. You know what they said? I'm her sister. Can I have my two? And handed them off. Another person behind them said, I'm her brother. That's the kind of love we're talking about. The kind of love that sees the need in the world. And though we may have questions, we're willing to get on our feet, to wash the, on our knees, to wash the feet of others, to love others, to go places that necessarily cost us something. It, what is it that Christ is doing we can't do? It's this, friends. It's this. You and I cannot go to the cross. You and I do not have the capability to save ourselves. What we do have the ability to do is to receive and to receive all that God wants to offer you and me in this moment. And so I invite you to consider the words of Cochrane and company that would invite you to this table and to the words of confession. They have a fantastic song I commend to you called Running Home. It says, I spent a long time running down a dead-end road looking for that something that could not fill my soul. Never found what I was searching for. Spent a long time running from a messed, messed up past. But you can't go forward when you're looking back. But I ain't looking back anymore. He called my name and he stole my shame. Everything changed when I came running home out of the dark into his arms. No more running away. I'm running home. Friends, in this meal, God calls you by name. The one who cast the stars in the heavens is willing to kneel at your feet and wash your feet. The one who say that you love when you have those Judas moments when you absolutely betray him, and every one of us has. But there's a part of Judas' betrayal that lives in each of our faith. For those moments like when Peter, we are impetuous and excited, and yet we drift away quickly. And even in those Thomas kinds of moments where we are sitting at the edge of our chair and listening, your questions are always welcomed by God. Church, are you listening? Are you listening?